Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. house of God another Sunday morning. Some people are freaked out about the weather, but we are here ready to worship God. And we started a series last week. How many of you guys were here for that series opening? All right. We started a series on the topic of being passionate for his presence. And today we're going to continue on that subject. So thank you guys for introducing us into the presence of God. John 4, 23. But the time is coming and indeed it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Can somebody just shout how the Father wants us to worship Him? Thank you for that shout. In spirit and in truth. There's a way that God wants us to worship. And this is the correct way, spirit and in truth. And then it continues saying, the Father is looking for those. He's looking for you. Hello. He's looking for me. He's looking for people or true worshipers. Who will worship him that way? What way? In spirit and in truth. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about the essence of worship. What is worship? All over the world, people get together on a day like today to worship God. Thousands of services all over the globe to worship God. Nowadays, worship has even become a genre in music. You could tune your XM radio to worship stations, right? You could produce worship music. You could record it. You could package it. You could even promote it. You could sell it at Walmart and Target. You could even get a college degree nowadays. I'm going to major in worship. Yet worship is one of the things that it's most misunderstood even inside the church. So I think that one of the basic things that we need to understand is what is true worshiper? Because if God is really looking for people that will worship him the right way if we want to please the heart of the father and I think that how many of you guys want to please the heart of the father want to please God we got to know and we got to take time to find out what or how we can worship God in truth and in spirit how can we worship God if we don't understand what worship is if we don't understand the true essence of worship we're going to do it wrong and if we don't participate in worship the right way, how can we invite God's presence to come and be a part of our lives, be a part of our services? And if we don't invite God's presence into our lives and into a service like this, how can we expect His power to work in us or His power to work in people's lives? And if His power is not touching people's lives in a service like this, how can we have hope to be anything more than a lifeless church? And Honestly, if we are a lifeless church, God didn't call us to be that, but if we're a lifeless church, how do we intend to impact our city and the world? And you see, the reason why we gather here, it's not to do a whole bunch of religious stuff, not just to sing songs that, are, that sound cool. It's not just to come and hear a little bit about God's word and not let it transform our lives. We are here because we want to transform ourselves and we want to be true worshipers of a God that loved us so much that he gave his own son to die on the cross for us so that we could be set free, so that we could have life and life more abundantly. I heard somebody say this, worship 
is the ground that makes every Christian action fruitful. I'm going to say it again. Worship is the ground. You guys remember the parable of the sower? And the sower went out and he started, you know, uh, throwing seeds into the ground and there were different types of ground. Well, worship is that ground that is fruitful or that makes every Christian action fruitful. When you are a worshiper and you sing, your song is fruitful. When you are a true worshiper and you come before God and you give, like we were just giving a little while ago, that giving is fruitful to the kingdom and to you. When you are a true worshiper and you come and you serve, because you know everything that God has done. That service is fruitful unto you and unto the kingdom. That, that bears many fruit. Your service bears many fruit. What you do for other people, what you do for the Lord bears many fruit. So evangelism, check this out. Evangelism begins with worship. It's hard to evangelize when there's not a life of worship inside of you. It becomes a, oh, I have to do this. Or, I have to, oh, the Bible says I have to talk to people about Jesus. Jesus, how do I do that? Right? And it becomes something you have to do. But when you are a worshiper, it just flows from you. Teaching and preaching also begins as worship. Prayer, even. Prophecy. Healing. Deliverance. Discipleship. Missions. When it comes from a heart of worship, it makes a difference. It makes it fruitful. It all begins and ends with worship. So without worship, all we are is simply religious people working on religious tasks. If there's no worship in your heart, if there's no worship or, or a true life of worship in spirit and in truth behind what you do, then it's just, you're just being a religious person doing religious acts or religious tasks. Zach Nee said this, worship is the motivation that transforms every task into a demonstration of our love for God. Without worship, just the task. But when you add worship and when it comes from a heart of a true worshiper, it's what? A demonstration of our love for God. That's why you could do whatever you do for the Lord. And if you, you don't do it out of a heart of true worship, worshiping in spirit and truth, it's just a task. I'm doing this. This is something that I do. They put me to do this and I'm serving God. Praise the Lord. I'm here in the welcome team. What's up? Glad you came. But when you do it from a heart of worship, it's a demonstration of God's love. And people see it. People walk through the doors and if you're in the welcome team, they're like, my gosh, I see Jesus in this person. I want to be like this person. This, this is awesome. Is this what, what church is about? Is this what JTP is about? People loving God and having, this is what I want. I need this in my life. And you become a demonstration of God's love. And today we stand here 2,000 years almost after the resurrection of Jesus. And there are still people who think that worship is just singing slow and intimate songs to God. But it's much more than that. It's actually one of those things that it's easier to live and experience than to be able to define. Worship is so much. And in an attempt to find a good definition for worship, I was going online and looking to see, you know, what's, what's something that could put what we feel, right, into words because worship is so broad. And I found a quote by William Temple, and I want to share it with you. He said this. He said, first he summarizes, and then he goes into explaining it. For worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the submission of all our nature. Everything that I am. My feelings, what I do, my, my history. Everything that I am. It's submitting that to the nature of God. And then he goes on to explain. He says, it's the quickening of conscience by his holiness. 
It's the nourishment of mind with his truth. The purifying of imagination by his beauty. The opening of the heart to his love. The surrender of will to his purpose, not mine. And all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness which is our original sin and the source of our actual sin. I think he summed it up so incredibly. It's wordy, but it's just that worship is so hard to put into words. It's something that you got to live. And, and, and the, how we become true worshipers is by spending time with God. Because worship is adoration for God. It's, it's spending time in His presence. So it's not something that can be taught. And, and today, you know, I'm sharing on the topic of worship. This series that we're doing is on the topic of worship. But I can't make you a worshiper. You are the one that needs to go to the presence of God. And God reveal himself to you in the secret place. And that makes you a true worshiper. When you start experiencing God's heart for yourself. And you bow down before his holiness and his, and his glory. And you submit your will and everything that William Temple says. And you experience it for yourself. And it's powerful. Edmund Clowney once said, When we worship God the right way, the nation will hear. And I, and I, man, I think... What would the United States of America be like? Forget who's present. What would the United States be like if every single believer has a relationship with God and they start worshiping God and, and, and causing revival and, and hearing from God and being used by God? And how crazy will this nation get in revival if we just start connecting our hearts with God and worshiping in spirit and truth? So let's talk about this. Let's talk about identity. Who am I? Identity is knowing who I truly am and what I have been uniquely equipped to do. So let me call on somebody. Let me, um, let me call on Marcos. Come over here. How many of you guys know Marcos? This guy is a cool dude, man. He's a, he's a talented guy. He knows how to play keyboards. He's a great singer. He can play ball too. Good basketball player. Let's say Marcos, all right, is a keyboard. He plays keyboard, but let's say he's just a keyboardist. And his purpose, you know, he is defined, or he, at least he defines himself as a keyboardist. If that is what defines him in life, let's say somebody comes up to him and says, Marcos, I love you, man. You're a cool guy, but you played horrible today. You are the worst. You should, you should do something else in life because keyboard is not your thing. How would he feel? Not only will Marcos feel rejection, if he is the type of person that what he does defines him, he's going to feel that he's a complete failure. It's going to be an identity crisis. He's going to say, but wait, I am a keyboardist. And this guy just said, I'm worse. So what is my life Worth if what I thought defined me, I am bad at. Can we give it up for Marcos? And what it, this is, this is the mistake that sometimes we do. We think that certain things that we do define us, and we're not defined by things that we do. We're not defined by, uh, by our degrees, we're not defined by our work. Ladies and gentlemen, we are defined by God Almighty. You know what defines me? The Word of God. 
this is what defines me. Sometimes we, go, we get into this mistake in thinking that there's certain things or that our position or our functions is what defines us. So most people believe that their function determines their identity. If I play keyboard, like in Marco's case, well, I'm a keyboardist. If I play football, then I'm a football player. But what I, what I do does not define who I am because God defines me. So, if I were to ask you today, would you like to be used by God, what would you say? And this is something that this week just really shocked me because I've been saying this all my life and I've been even preaching about this all my life. But sometimes you say, God, I want you to use me. So what would you say if God comes up to you and says, I want to use you? What would you say? Okay. Say, here I am. That's what I, all my life I've been saying that. I'm saying, God, here I am. I've even told God, God, I want to be an instrument in your hand that you can use. Now, what if I told all the married women here, how would you feel if your husband says to you, baby, I just want to use you? How would you feel? How would you feel if your friend, your best friend, the person that you spend most time with and you share a lot of interest with, comes up to me and says, you know what, You're, I want to be a good friend to you. I, I just want to use you. For those that are dating, I mean, when you think about a dating relationship and somebody using another, that's usually not a good thing, right? And sometimes we think that God wants to use you and it's because sometimes we think that we are useful to God based on our function. But God, you know what? I, I went into the Bible because I, I heard somebody preach about this last week. And it was like God confirming it because I was reading a book later on in the week. And it's like the same point and like God ministering to me. I'm like, wait, I've been saying this all my life. I'm a pastor. I've been telling God, use me, use me. And I've been wrong. Because if you look in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it say that God wants to use you. It says that God wants to know you. And that makes a world of a difference. Because you only use objects. You see, when, when you use somebody, you use them as an object. When a, when a guy just used a girl, you know, because he wanted a, he had lustful thoughts and he just wanted to, you know, sleep with her. You say, well, he used her. Because why? To him, he saw her more as an object and not as a person. And sometimes we think that God thinks this way. We're wrong. God does not want want to use you. He wants to know you. We don't worship what should be used and we don't use what should be worshipped. We can't use God. God wasn't called to, to be used by you. Right? We are called to worship God. And God does not want to use us. God wants to know us. So religion teaches us to look at ourselves as things. And it says, well, if I do what I'm supposed to do, then I'm straight with God. Then I am useful to him. But if I mess up, then I'm not good enough. And he removes me and puts somebody, another instrument that is more useful to him. And we, and we see ourselves and we think of ourselves as just tools that God has no feelings for and no affection for when that is wrong. Let me give you this example. I do a little bit of garden work every now, every now and then. I have a shovel in my garage. Let's say I'm doing some garden work. I'm, 
you know, trying to dig up some hole to put in a nice plant or something that we bought or a nice tree. And let's say that my shovel breaks. If that shovel breaks, I'm not going to keep it in my garage just, you know, taking up space if it's not useful. If I can't repair it, what am I going to do? I'm going to throw it away. Because it's not useful to me. You see, that's the difference between people and the difference between objects. A lot of people, they see, each other, they see themselves as something that God just uses. But let me tell you something, and maybe this is the greatest revelation that you take away from this service. But God is not interested in using you because God never, never intended to use you because you're not an object. God wants to know you. So if that shovel is not good for me, I'm going to throw it out. But God doesn't throw people out. When he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross, he gave his son Jesus to die for everyone. Everybody was a sinner. Some more sinners than others. And we're the ones that label, you know, certain sins are more important. But everybody was a sinner. But God loved us to the point that he gave his son Jesus, which was sinless. So that us that were sinful will be reconciled. That's how much God loves us. So when you understand how profound God's love is for us and how much he loves us and that he does not want to use you. On the contrary, he wants to know you. Man, understanding that is what gives you the strength to serve God the way he deserves and to worship God the way he deserves. A religious heart says, I must do my duty in order to be of value to God. I need to do this so God, you know, will be proud of what I did. But a heart of worship says, Jesus already proved that I am valuable to God. And I serve him because he is valuable to me. You see, that makes all the difference in how we serve. Makes all the difference in how we sing. It makes all the difference even in how we give, how we treat others. I am valuable. I don't have to do anything to be valuable from God. You need to understand today that you're valuable because Jesus already died for you. You are already valuable. And when you understand, when you understand the, the profoundness and, and how great God's love is for us, that's going to give you the strength to worship God in spirit and in truth, to serve Him with the right disposition. Religion teaches us teaches us that our function determines our worth and our identity. That means, well, I am someone or something because I do. If I do, then I am someone. But worship teaches us that our identity determines our worth and our function. I do because of what I am already. I'm, I'm, blood by the, I'm purchased and bought by the blood of Jesus. I am redeemed. I am a son of the living God, so I'm going to worship God. That's why I'm going to give him the best. I'm not going to give him my change. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give him what's left over. I'm going to give the rest of my life, and I'm going to give him what's best. Why? Because I have revelation of who God is for myself. God determines my identity. You guys are way too quiet today, so why don't you raise your right hand and say, God determines my identity. Not your function. Your function does not determine your identity. What you do does not determine your identity. God determines our identity. Can we give it up for him? Can we praise him for that? 
All right, let's go to the Bible a little bit. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. I'm going to prove it to you through the Bible. It says, since God chose you. Now, is that past, present, or future? Thank you. Somebody's, uh, somebody had coffee. All right. Since God chose you, God is not determining now, oh, am I going to choose Stanley or am I not? I'm going to choose Juan. Am I going to choose? He's not determining if he's going to. He chose us. Since God already chose you to be the holy people he loves, then you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Which one comes first? It's God choosing us. The apostles trying to show us that, hey, because God already chose us, despite our imperfections and despite all our mess-ups, then because of that, because God saw be beyond all that messed up stuff that you had in your life and that I had in my life, because he chose us despite that, then, man, I need to clothe my heart with tender heartness. I need to do all these things that he says, kindness, humility, gentleness. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, but we are. Everybody say, I am. That's present. I already am. I don't have to work. I don't have to do anything. It says, we are citizens of heaven. That's my rightful place. If I accepted the sacrifice of Jesus and I am a son of God, I am a citizen of heaven. Even if it's the first time that I ever came to a Christian church or maybe you let Jesus into your heart today and you've never been to a Christian church, the Bible says that you're a citizen of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Check out Ephesians 1.18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. Again, he has given. It's been given already. We're not, I'm not working to get this hope. The hope has already been given. Come on, somebody say, the hope has already been given. So he's telling us, apostles praying so that the hearts of people, and man, I think that it's, I, I pray that God will fill every single heart of those that are here and those that are watching us so that you would understand and your hearts also will be flooded with light to understand that the confident hope that he has given has already been given. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So on the subject of worship, worship is not something that we do. It's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a gratitude lifestyle that you understand and you have revelation of who God called you to be and who you are in Christ that motivates every single action that you do, every Christian action. If I serve, if I give, if I sing, everything I do, it's going to have a new meaning. Why? Because I know who I am in Christ. It's a lifestyle. It's my response for all God has done for me and in me. This is why true worshipers worship even if they don't feel like it. It's why true worshipers in the midst of a pandemic say, I don't care. I'm not, nobody's going to keep me from coming to the house and corporately worshiping, worshiping God. He's been too good. There's no risk that's too large for me not to come worship God. I need to do this. I was born to do this. So even if my body is tired and I worked all night, but I'm, I'm going to worship God. Even if I had a bad night, because 
my body was aching or I went to sleep too late. But you know what? I'm still going to put my alarm clock early because I, I'm grateful. Even if my body doesn't want to, I'm going to worship. Even if it's, the conditions are not optimal, I'm still going to worship because you have revelation of all that God is and all he's done for you. For true worshipers, worship is a necessity, not an obligation. I need it. Because every time I worship, I tap into God. And that's why there's so many people sometimes that are lifeless, even in church. Because they're tapping into God knows what. But when you understand that the life of God, the provision of God, the strength of God is available just by getting on your knees and worshiping the King. You start experiencing God, not a religion, not something people teach and just words on paper, but you start experiencing God because you are worshiping in spirit and in truth. So now that we know what worship is, well, here comes the question. What am I worshiping? I want you to ask yourself that. Now that we know what worship is, what am I worshiping? Because look, every single person has the need God made you this way. God made me this way. We have the need to worship. Something has to, there has to be an object of worship in your life. Right now, you are worshiping somebody. In this season of life or something, doesn't necessarily have to be a person. We all worship something. And if it's not God what we're worshiping, the Bible calls it an idol. An idol can be anything. It's a false God, somebody or something that tries to take God's place. So let me give you three examples, okay? And I picked these names at random because I don't think, I don't know anybody with these names. So if your name is any of these three, please, it was just pure coincidence. That was my disclaimer. So let's talk about Dan, okay? Here's Dan. Dan serves his athletic body. He loves to serve his body. He goes to the gym five times a week. He has impeccable eating habits. He is only attracted to other beautiful bodies or people with beautiful bodies. The problem is that he keeps falling for shallow women who have no depth of spirit, has no character. And he often feels lonely and empty and eventually becomes bored and he becomes bitter. The false god of vanity failed him. He's worshiping vanity. Let me talk to you a little bit about Debbie. Debbie's family means everything to her. Her son and cute little daughter, they play sports, they take music lessons, and they attend a private school. Debbie spends every waking moment of every day caring for her kids to the point that often she goes through an entire day without having time for her husband, which makes him feel neglected. If he feels neglected, how must God feel? She lives through her children, and they are like false gods for her life. Let me give you a last example, and this is Janice. Janice is very proud of her home. She spends hours each day cleaning, vacuuming, dusting. It makes her feel good when visitors come, and they comment what a beautiful home she has, how clean your home is. But her children resent her compulsive cleanliness. They never invite their friends to come over because Janice is so paranoid about messing up her carpet. Janice has distorted the home that God has provided as a place of shelter and comfort and has made it a shrine unto itself. 
she spends far more time working on her home than she does on Bible study, than she does on praying and worshiping God. So you see, very easily, you can be a person that is worshiping, like in Debbie's case, your children. You can worship your home, like in Janice's case. You can even worship your body or yourself, like Dan. Or your business, you can worship your car. You can worship your money, your savings account. You can worship anything or anyone. But God, I believe, is using this series that we started last week to bring worship to where it should be in your life. To be able to restore the tabernacle of David. And we said last week that the tabernacle of David was different than Moses' tabernacle because it didn't have a curtain. Which meant that there is no impediment for you to have a relationship with God. Listen, we have no excuse nowadays. All you have to do is get on your knees and God is listening to you. You want to know God personally? All you have to do is separate time. It's us that fail. It's us that we don't take the time and say, God, I need you. We think that, and I was talking to some of the guys from the band on Thursday that came from Gilberto's band. We were talking about how sometimes God has to break a nation and bring them to their feet because sometimes in, when we feel all comfortable and we feel that we got everything we need, we feel we don't need God. And sometimes God has to pull the rug from underneath us to, for us to realize how much we need God and how dependent on Him we are and how that to the point that if He's not in our lives, we can't survive. And unfortunately, the United States of America has been blessed. We're a blessed nation. We are in the, at the pinnacle of the world. We're at the top 10% of, of the entire world when it comes to, when it comes to monetary and, and, and income. And, and we've been blessed. And sometimes that blessing plays against us. And we become comfortable. And we serve the false god of provision, money, mammon, as the Bible calls it. And we don't even realize it. And God is knocking at the door of, us, of our hearts saying, I'm looking for true worshipers that will worship me in spirit and truth. That will really get down and get to know me. And if you get to know God, you'll realize that he's not interested in using you. He's interested in knowing you. And when he knows you and when you start falling in love with God and how much he loves you, you're going to start, your natural reaction is it's to serve him. So I want to finish off with this. I want to finish off with a verse that maybe it may shock some of you guys, but God called every single person, every single person, every human being to be a priest. Yes, a priest. Can you see yourself as a priest? I want you to look at somebody close to you and tell them, you are a priest. God called you to be a priest. That's right. Not the kind of priest, you know, that owns the little white things here, you know. That's how we envision priests. But the Bible says that God called each and, one, each and every one of us to be a priest. And I'm going to prove it to you. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. It says, now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. Look how God talks about you. He's saying words like, you are his special treasure. Do you see yourself like that? Do you see yourself like God's special treasure? Because sometimes we trash ourselves. And we don't see ourselves like God sees us. 
And he goes on and says, for all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Isn't that amazing? That you will be my kingdom of priests. So check this out. In the Old Testament, before Jesus, the priest all came from a tribe called Levi. It was the tribe of Levi. But it wasn't God's purpose for all the priests just to come out of a specific tribe. There was 12 different tribes. And only one of those tribes could priests come out of. I'm going to show you why that was. In Exodus chapter 32, go with me in your book, your Bible. Exodus, everybody brought their Bibles? Y'all looking at me like, I'm the Bible. <laughs> Bring your Bible, please. Exodus chapter 32 Verse 25, it says, Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and shouted, all of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And look what it says next. It says, and all the who, come on, it's on the wall, and all the can you say it louder? And all the Levites gathered around him. You see, Levites are not the first to just sing. Sometimes we hear Levites and we think about a worship leader. No, Levites are the first to respond to God's call. And the Bible says that when Moses called all these people and they say, all those who are on the Lord's side, come on over here. It says the Levites gathered around him. And Moses told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each of you, take your swords and go back and forth from one end to the, of the camp to the other. Kill everyone. Listen, JTP. Kill everyone. That was the instruction. Even your brothers, your friends, and neighbors. And the Levites obeyed Moses' command. And about 3,000 people died that day. Then Moses told the Levites, today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord. For you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. And from that day on, in the Old Testament, we're talking about the Old Testament here, before Jesus. From that day on, God grabbed this ministry of the Levites uh, I'm sorry, the ministry of the tabernacle, of the priesthood, and gave it to the Levites because these people were bold. These people, what, what Jesus or what Moses told them to do, they went and did it. They didn't have to think twice. All the Levites. Now you're probably asking, well, how did I become a priest though? You see, now in the New Testament, from the moment you received Jesus in your heart, you were enlisted. JTP Church, from the moment, if you call yourself a Christian, you're a priest. You were enlisted. God put you on the list. You are his priest. Throughout history, the space between the platform and seats has been stretched. You see, right now, when I said the word priest, you guys were like, what? Peace? Huh? What? I don't, I don't preach. I don't stand in a stage. And you see, the problem is that from after the birth of Jesus in the early stage of the church they distorted because they thought that the presence or the not the presence the word of God was so holy that it was only meant to be preached by people 
by the priest supposedly and then the people didn't have to understand what they were saying so they translated the bible into latin and there was a, a person speaking in latin the people didn't even understand what the priest was talking about even the hymns were in latin they would sing and had no idea what they were singing about and for a long time there was a big separation between the people in the pulpit the priest if you may call them and then the people that were listening they would just go to church and just not understand anything but that's why it's so important to restore the tabernacle of david because god never intended for there be a separation between the people and between the ministers you see on a day like today when we were worshiping god we were all worshiping god god wasn't listening to me more than he was listening to you when we pray to god god does not listen to me more than he listens to you he listens to everyone he listens to everyone because thanks thanks to jesus we all have access and the bible says come boldly unto the throne because god is going to listen to you he hears you you are no uh, you are not less of a son than i am and i am not less of a son to god than you are god listens to us and in first peter chapter 2 verse 5 it says you are living stones that god is building in his spiritual temple can somebody raise their hand and say i am a living stone come on say it out loud say i am a living stone gotta get gotta get into this man i'm a living stone in the spiritual temple that god is building what's more he says you are his holy priest come on raise your hand and say i am his holy priest it's in black and white actually it's in red in some translations jesus says that you are a living priest god says you are a living priest right now maybe you're not performing your priestly duties that's a different topic we can start today but in the eyes of god you are his holy priest through the mediation of jesus christ you offer spiritual sacrifices that please god and guess who the apostle is speaking to here when he writes this he's talking to christians he's talking to people that that he was building churches that he would go to and he would start building and he'll start teaching them he's telling them listen you are a priest now, if you are performing your priestly duties, if you're talking to people about Jesus, are, are you letting Jesus' light shine so that your neighbors could know it, so that the people that work with you can know that you are a believer and that his light abides in you? Are you making a difference? That's a different topic. But the fact is that God called you his priest. And if you go on to verse 9, it says, but you are not like that. He says, for you are a chosen people. Come on, somebody raise your hand and say, I am chosen. I am chosen. You are royal priest. Listen, not just any priest. Royal priest means that you're a priest of the king of kings. All right? There's a big difference. You are royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So Jesus called me. I am his priest. I have revelation. I know that I don't have to do to be loved. God already loved me. I know who I am. I'm a priest. And because I'm confident of what God has done, he's taken me out of darkness and into light. Now I can shine that light on other people. And that's what a priest does. I shine. I am a, I am a testimony of what God does and what can do in other people's lives. So this is incredible. We are priests of God. 
and not just any priest, royal priest and a holy nation to proclaim the wonderful works of Jesus who rescued us from darkness into his marvelous light. So what are you? I ask you today. What are you? I want to hear it louder though. <laughs> what are you? I know there's a few of you guys because a lot of got, a lot of them got freaked out because of the, the storm and everything. But say, I am a priest. Come on, say it out loud. What are you? I am a priest. Do you believe it? Do you see yourself as a priest? Because that's what God says. I am a priest. So if we are priests, JTP Church, listen. Start living like what you are. Start living like what you are. Start thinking like what you are. I'm a priest. God called me. He uniquely created me. I'm not defined by my functions. I could be a teacher, but I am a priest of Almighty God and I have the power of the Holy Spirit to make darkness flee and light to come in people's lives. So I'm not defined by what I do, by my job, by what other people tell me or don't tell me. I'm defined by, by what God says. So we got to start living like that, thinking like that. We got to start talking like what we are. We are priests. We could bring heaven to earth. We have the power through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring miracles and, and bring down blessings into people's lives and pray for people's needs and see them restored and see them be touched by the power of God. So what do we need to do? Start proclaiming the works of Jesus to people everywhere because that's what priests do. You know how you know if you're walking in your, in your priestly anointing? It's because people are being affected through you. You see fruits. You see, that's how you know if you are a true worshiper. The Bible says that when you are a true worshiper, worship is that ground that makes every Christian action fruitful. If you're a true worshiper, there's going to be fruitful in the fruit in the people that you talk to about Jesus. If you are a true worshiper, there's going to be fruit from those that you pray for. If you are a true worshiper, there's going to be fruit in how you model Jesus. And people are going to see Jesus through you. So I'm going to finish up with this. Let's all stand on our feet. I think that one of the challenges that we have as a church of God, and I'm, just, I'm not just talking about here at JTP, just generally speaking, is believing that, for one, we're loved by God. I don't have to do anything to make God love me. I'm already loved. It says it on His Word. I just need to believe it. And once I take time to go into God's presence and I start restoring the tabernacle of David in my house, on the side of my bed or in my closet or wherever you talk to God, once you start restoring that and you start going to God, little by little, day after day, week after week, your heart starts becoming day by day and week by week more like God's heart. You start seeing like God sees. You start feeling what God feels. You start becoming less worried for the things, your everyday things. And you start becoming worried for souls that are losing their lives. You start seeing people the way Jesus sees them. And a true worshiper is what God is looking for. He says he's seeking true worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I don't know how many people here are passionate about his presence. And maybe you haven't been passionate about God's presence today. 
But my prayer is that what we've been speaking about these two weeks and what we're going to finish speaking about next week will stir something inside of you that will get you wanting to know God in a true way and not in a religious way. Not in a way that you come Sunday, oh, I'm going to go worship God. Worship is not something that I do. I am a worshiper. I am a worshiper. I worship God when I'm driving home from work. I'm wor- I worship God when I'm eating with my family on the dinner table. I worship, I-, I am a worshiper. And I'm always constantly grateful and aware of how good God's been. And that realization brings fruit to everything I do. If you want to let Jesus into your heart today, and it starts all, that's how it starts. If you're here and you've never opened your heart to Jesus, or you've done it, but religiously, and you haven't really taken it serious, and you want to do, you want to commit to God and say, God, I want to let you into my heart, but I want it to be a true relationship with you. I don't want it to be something superficial. God, I realize that you don't want to use me. You want to know me. And honestly, I haven't taken the time I haven't given you the time so that we can know each other. But God, that stops here. Starting today, I want you to know me. And I want to know you. And I want to know your heart. And I want to start worshiping in spirit and truth. And if you want to make that decision today, just say with me right there where you are, with all your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, on this day, I give you my heart. Forgive me for not responding to all the goodness that you've shown towards me. Forgive me, God. Forgive my sins. Forgive my failings and my shortcomings. But from this day on, I make a firm determination to follow after you. To restore the tabernacle of David in my home and in my family. So that I can once again have a true relationship with you. So that our relationship would be restored. And so that I could see your power and your grace fill me. So that I could walk, not by what this world defines me by, but what you say I am. Thank you, God, for all the things that you're going to do in my life and through me. And I pray that you give me grace to bear fruit in everything I do for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, JTP. We love you, God. Thank you so much.